I'm Kate Daniels. It's time to learn a simple technique that could save your life by preventing a stroke. It's an attack that really can happen to any of us. And Kim Kelly is dedicated to working to spread the help message and save lives. Kim is the program coordinator of the Washington Coverdell Acute Stroke Program, part of Washington State's Department of Health. And this morning, she's here to share the life-saving tips, tips for our own selves or tips that will help us save another person. So let's get right to it and meet Kim. Kim Kelly, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us this morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. You are just the perfect person to be with us this morning because you work with the Washington State Department of Health. Your focus is so much on the stroke aspect of our lives. And we're wanting to focus on strokes because, sadly, this is happening in too many people too often. Although we're getting the information out, but it still is happening. And so we want to really drive that message home again this morning, don't we, about what is happening and what to look for. Right, Kim? Yes. So the thing about stroke being such a an issue in our society, we think of it predominantly as being something associated with aging or older people get it. But is that really true? Well, it's true that more people have strokes, more people who are over 65 have strokes, but younger people do have strokes. In fact, even babies have strokes. Uh, the reasons people have strokes are different. But, yes, it is an issue for younger people, and actually nationally they're finding an increase in strokes among younger people. So it is an issue for everyone, and even if you're not the person having a stroke, knowing the signs and symptoms of a stroke and what to do if you see someone else experiencing a stroke or uh, the symptoms of a stroke uh, everybody needs to know that information so you could possibly save a life by calling 911 when you recognize the signs and symptoms of a stroke. So it's not just the person, the older person who might experience a stroke um, that needs to know this information and needs to know how important it is to call 911 and to act really fast when you're having a stroke. Because really, somebody who's having a stroke oftentimes can't call 911. It's the people around them that need to um, recognize it and take action. So that might be a grandchild. That may be um, a spouse. Uh, It may be somebody who's younger. So that is why we're discussing it this morning and hope that uh, it's a ripple effect that whoever hears it is going to share it with someone else. And uh, that education is going to become deeply entrenched. And ultimately, we're going to save lives and make sure that that life is still quality life after a stroke. Exactly. I mean, what we really want people to do is recognize the signs and symptoms of the stroke, and call 911 because there's a three-hour treatment window for most strokes. So people need to get to a stroke center, which are most of our hospitals are stroke centers. They need to get to that stroke center within that three-hour time window. And so we, um, we want people to call 911, and if this happens, more people will be treated for stroke. It will save lives and, as you point out, reduce disability and increase quality of life after stroke because if a stroke is treated in time, 
in most, I can't say in most situations, but in a lot of situations, if people get to treatment, they can oftentimes recover from their stroke, sometimes completely, and go back to a normal life and what they were doing before they had their stroke. Terrific. That's what we're aiming to do. And of course, it's understandable. It's not going to necessarily be 100%, but the majority, and that's the thing. We we hope that we're going to be in that majority number. So that's why we want to get this information out and make it really solid. Mm-hmm. So, Kim, in terms of what to look for, what are the signs, the symptoms of a stroke? Well, we think of it sometimes in the, they call them the five suddens, um, and most stroke symptoms come on suddenly. So sudden numbness or weakness, especially on one side of the body, sudden confusion or trouble speaking or understanding speech, a subtle, um, sudden trouble seeing in one or both eyes, and sudden trouble with walking, dizziness or loss of balance or coordination, and sudden severe headache with no known cause. And I shouldn't say and. All of these symptoms can happen um, can happen on their own. So you don't have to have all the symptoms. You may just have a sudden severe headache, which is like the worst headache in your life. Sometimes they call it a thunderclap headache. So um, those are the most, those are the, all the signs and symptoms or most of the signs and symptoms of a stroke. So we might be experiencing it or we might observe it in someone that we are with and that is definitely something to pay real close attention to, act immediately. Uh, We don't want to sit around waiting to see, well, is this going to continue or, you know, was this just a a fluke kind of thing? Right, because there's a couple things here. Now, you you mentioned that um, are these signs going to continue? Sometimes they start and stop. And that, and, and maybe start up again, and they, they can be kind of mild. And this is called a TIA or a transient ischemic attack. Um, this is TIAs are often warning signs that a bigger stroke uh, may occur. So people should pay attention if you know if they have the signs, they feel that um, weakness on one side for a few minutes or even up to an hour. Um, they need to pay attention to that. Because, uh, again, it could be a sign of a bigger stroke happening. It means there's a little clot in um, a, a transient or a traveling little clot that maybe gets stuck and then moves on um, or starts again. And I'm, let me just be clear, I'm not a physician or a nurse, so some of my clinical definitions or descriptions may not be completely accurate, but um, I think you get the point that it's it moves on and it's really important to pay attention to those little mini strokes sometimes people call them and just to uh, mention your comment about that you're not a medical professional which is really just fine you work at the department of health so you have this awareness and i think from that position you speak to us in our at our level in our language so that we can really understand this and get that information and act on it. So uh, then we go to the medical professional, right? Right, exactly. I mean, the basic things that the public or that you and I need to know are those signs and symptoms. And and actually, even that's a little hard to remember um, and can be a little bit complicated. And there's a really simple tool 
that covers most of the signs of a stroke that we really are trying to get out to the public, and that it's, it's FAST. That's the acronym um, or the abbreviation for this. It, we'll call it a little um, stroke test. And FAST means, one, act fast, but F stands for face, face drooping. That's a sign of a stroke. Arms, arm weakness. S stand for, stands for speech difficulty. And T stands for time. Time to call 911. And time um, that the symptoms started, if you observed it, or if you didn't see when the person started exhibiting these signs, when was the last time you or somebody... Uh, the person knows or was around, uh, n- noticed or knew that they were um, normal. When were they acting normal? So um, say, say you called, you went to visit your mom at 10 o'clock in the morning and you noticed that her face was drooping and you thought, oh my gosh, face fast. She's, I think she might be having a stroke but I don't know what time the symptoms started. Oh, but I talked to her just one hour ago at 9 o'clock. So she was normal. The last known normal time was 9 o'clock. Well, first she should call 911 and then tell the paramedics or the emergency personnel, sometimes it's a volunteer, um, what time she knew her mom to be last known well. So it would be 9 o'clock. And then they can call ahead to the hospital, the emergency department, and say, I'm bringing in a potential stroke. Her symptoms started at 9 o'clock, and the hospital knows, oh, okay, it's 10 o'clock. She's going to get here at 1030. If it is indeed a stroke, we should be, and it's a stroke with a clot, we should be able to give her the um, medication that will break up that clot. They have, like I said, three hours about three hours, three and a half hours, to give that medication. So time, we're getting this sense. Time is so critical here. Time is of the essence. And so we see the drooping of the face. That's one of the symptoms. And that in itself is sufficient. We call 911, as in the example you were saying, Kim. But if there's numbness, weakness on the side of the body, there's a way to test for that, too, very easily, isn't there? Right. So for face, arm, speech, time, for fast, you would ask the person to smile. And does one side of the face droop? Yes. Okay, that's definitely potentially a stroke. Then for the arms, you could ask the person, Kate, in your case, can you please raise your arms and observe, does one arm not rise at all or does one kind of rise but then drift down? And then speech, ask the person to say, firefighters are my friend. Um, and if the person's speech is slurred or garbled or they can't speak, um, that's another sign that this may definitely be a stroke. So it's a, that little test there, face, arm, speech, and then time, of course, is when did it start or when was the last, pers- last time the person was normal and call 911. And that calling 911 is such a critical thing. Don't even consider saying, oh, my car's right here, let's go. That 911 and getting the EMTs there with, with their truck is so critical in all of this, isn't it? 
It is. I mean, first of all, time is just critical because the, more, the longer you wait, the more brain cells are lost. Um, so the more potential damage there is um, to a person's brain. Uh, but calling 911 starts the whole stroke system. Um, it puts it all in motion. And also, when, uh, when you have emergency medical services transporting you to the hospital, one, they're trained to identify a stroke. Two, um, if, uh, if the patient needs other um, medical attention on the way to the hospital, they can do it, like giving oxygen or, um, or other things. So it's not you driving your loved one in a car um, and you can't do anything for that person. You're not necessarily calling ahead to the hospital. Um, so, and that's really key because when they call ahead to the hospital, that gets the, the hospital ready for the patient so they can clear um, a, the scanner to do a brain image to see if the person's having a stroke, get the medications ready, all of that. So, again, it just speeds time to that ultimate treatment. And sometimes we might hesitate thinking, oh, goodness, uh, you know, maybe it's not that. I'm wasting someone's time. That, again, shouldn't enter the picture, should it? Oh, not at all. Every uh, EMS, emergency medical services personnel that I speak to, they say, we want you to call us. We would much rather it be um, a false alarm than it be a stroke and you not get, uh, you not call us um, and not get to treatment in time. So it's really okay to call 911 for your stroke. Great. Want to really underscore that. The other thing in terms of heading to the hospital is that, uh, and, and this would be the thing too, why it's valuable to use 911 and that transportation, because we might be passing a hospital on the way and thinking, well, but this one's closer, but not all hospitals have everything we need, Right. That's true. There are three different levels of stroke center, and so some of your larger hospitals have more treatments um, available, um, different teams, that kind of thing. Almost all our hospitals can give this medication if you arrive within time, but sometimes it's um, to the patient's benefit to go just a little bit further, say 15 minutes further, to get to that higher stroke center level because sometimes they're going to have to be transferred anyway. So that's the way our system is set up. They'll take you to the best place within a certain amount of time. And sometimes you can get that treatment potentially faster and, again, not have to be transferred if you go to that second hospital first. Right. Now, a little aside here, when we're talking about our emergency services in Washington State calling 911, aren't we really just so fortunate with what we have that exists here? Oh, we are. We have a great emergency medical services here in Washington, and um, we do have a system set up, a stroke system. We call it our emergency cardiac and stroke system, but it's really part of our whole emergency care system. And, uh, you know, systems make things go faster. They're more efficient, uh, and so we've set it up so that 911, when you call 911, they know to call um, to get an ambulance to you immediately. And then the ambulance, because of the policies that we've created under this system, they know exactly what to do, how to assess for stroke, which hospital to take you to, to call ahead to the hospital, um, 
and to, you know, to set the whole thing in motion. And then once you get to the hospital, they have a set, uh, set series of steps that they take to make sure that you get um, the care that you need in time. Exactly. So very simple. Let's just recap here for a moment the ways to notice what the stroke is. This is so critical that we, you, with um, all the health professionals, have set up a system to really make it easier to recognize what is going on. This is really important information, valuable knowledge to have in our hands. Sure. So... And just an easy way to remember it. It's fast. Face, arms, speech, time. Face droop, arm weakness, speech difficulty, time to call 911, and time the person was last normal. And normal for them. And if I could just say, you know, somebody might have some deficits or some disability, but that's normal for them. So it's when it's different. You're recognizing a change in somebody's condition. Right. So really critical. Remember fast. Actually, if we tend to have forgotten some of the details, there's a really good website that we can refer people to, right? True. It's the Stroke Association, the American Stroke Association. That's part of the American Heart Association. And it's www.strokeassociation.com. .org.org. And there is so much great information there. And as you mentioned, in association with the American Heart Association, Kim, I, I noticed on the website it said, Together to End Stroke, Heart and Brain. And so in what we are finding is that there's a real connection here. What's happening so often with the heart is actually just similar to what would then parallel happen in the brain. I mean, a, a totally different situation. But uh, what we're talking about is is clots, right? Yes, it is similar. We call, oftentimes, um, you'll call a stroke a brain attack, like you have a heart attack. And this, a similar thing is happening. When you have a heart attack, Most uh, what we usually refer to as a heart attack, is you have a clot in one of the vessels in your heart. That's what happens in a stroke, except it's a vessel in your brain. Now, you can, a stroke is, can also uh, happen because you have um, a leak or a rupture in a vessel. Just like in your heart, you, you can have the same thing happen uh, and have some of the same symptoms, and it can also um, cause death or significant disability. Um, but most Strokes are caused, 80% of strokes are caused by a clot rather than a rupture or what's called a hemorrhagic stroke. So we see the parallels here and it's so important to realize that connection because really, you know, I'd like to talk about the risk factors and I think what we'll find is risk factors that affect stroke brain attack, are, are really comparable for heart attacks. It's true. Very true. I mean, really, your brain, your heart are, in a way, in your hands. Um, there are some risk factors for stroke uh, and heart attack that we can't control, but there are a lot of things that increase our risk for stroke or heart attack 
um, that we can control. And those are things like smoking, obesity, lack of exercise, poor eating that lead to conditions like diabetes, which can lead to heart disease and heart attack and stroke. So the risk factors for heart disease are the same as they are for stroke. So it's really important. We can do things to reduce our risk for stroke. So that would be losing weight, eating healthy, and exercising regularly. A healthy diet, low in saturated fats, sodium, and sugar, and high in vegetables, fruit, and whole grains will reduce our risk of stroke. And just to repeat, it's so important, keeping physically active. Even just a little bit of physical activity into our daily routines is an important way to reduce stroke. Like 30 minutes of walking or other exercise five times a week will help. And let me just repeat, I'm sorry, I didn't say these real clearly. The risk factors for stroke are high cholesterol, high blood pressure. In fact, high blood pressure is the number one risk factor for stroke. So reducing your blood pressure and your cholesterol through medication if you need it, but losing weight, eating healthy, and exercising. And when we think about life, longer life, can we not etch out that 30 minutes throughout the day where we can get that exercise so we can really live a vibrant longer life? Yes. Right? 30 Very... minutes a day, yeah. I mean, of course, more, more is great, but sure. I know how hard it is to fit everything that we need to fit into our lives. But 30 minutes a day will bring just immense value to your life in terms of reducing risk for heart disease, stroke, heart attack, etc., and diabetes. So critical. And Mm -hmm. the blood pressure, now that is so, so important here. You did underscore that for us, Kim. What should we be looking at? So, and, and again, I'm not a clinician, but these are very public guidelines for blood pressure. So normal blood pressure is considered 120 over 80. A blood pressure of 140 over 90 is considered high. And so at this level, people are at a higher risk, and it's really important that they work with their healthcare provider to bring their blood pressure down to a safer range. High blood pressure, um, or sometimes you'll hear it called hypertension, is called the silent killer because many people aren't aware that they have high blood pressure because you don't really have any symptoms. So get your blood pressure checked regularly, and if it's high, work with your doctor or healthcare provider to get it under control. And here's a critical thing. If you don't have a medical provider or it doesn't feel convenient to get to the doctor right away to get an appointment, what's an easy way to get that blood pressure checked? Well, you can actually go to your fire station if you've got uh, one locally, and most of us do, and many of them offer free blood pressure checks. So you can just stop by your station and uh, ask if they do, or you can also call 211, which is like 911, but it's the national number to call for information about health and social services. So sometimes they'll have other places uh, listed there, like senior centers or um, other places where you can get your blood pressure checked. Great. So again, you know, our world is making it easier for us to do these things. We just need to take advantage of it. 
Right. Right. So we've talked about the things that we can control. And so some of the things we can't, but I'm thinking even if we can't control, such as our family history, what happened, there's a way to change that. If our family tended to be on the heavier side, if they were obese, we can change that for ourselves and change that trajectory for ourselves. Yes, we can. Even though you have risk factors that can't be controlled, like age or family history, doing the things that will reduce your risk, like exercise, losing weight, eating right, etc., are still going to reduce your risk. Right. So we can see how we really have a lot of control. We just need to be informed, which is what you and I are trying to do this morning, Kim, Mm -hmm. is letting people know what it is that we need to do to keep ourselves aware of risk factors for stroke primarily. But we see how there's also that connection with heart attack. In total, we're going to keep ourselves much healthier. Exactly. By addressing blood pressure, diabetes, cholesterol, weight issues, And one thing I'm not sure we mentioned is smoking. Smoking is really, not smoking, is really important to reduce your risk. So if you smoke now, quitting can be so valuable to protecting your health, your brain and your heart. That's right. That you can't undo that. You've done it in the past necessarily, but the fact that you change and start doing all the healthy practices, that is going to truly make a world of difference. Yes, it really can. So I think, again, what is so critical here to keep things simple, to help us to look at this in a very simple way, is to remember that acronym FAST. Can you go through that with us again, Kim? Sure. Face, arms, speech, time. Face drooping, arm weakness, speech difficulty, time to call 911, and time the person was last known normal or the symptoms began, if you know that. Face, arms, speech, time. Because it is known that that time is so important that by getting to the hospital and getting all the treatment that's available really is going to put the brakes on that stroke continuing. Correct. Even if it's just a mini stroke, it's important that you get to medical care So you can stop the big one from happening. Don't ignore these signs. Don't say, oh, I feel a little funny. I'm weak on one side all of a sudden. I think I'll take a nap. Don't do that. Act fast. Don't call your sister. Call 911. Yes. Call the professionals, the people who really are going to be able to evaluate it. And in addition to that, they really want you to call. They'd rather be wrong, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. They'd rather be wrong. <laughs> yes, than to allow this to actually be happening and we end up with some severe health issues in the future. We don't want that for ourselves. We don't want that for anyone. We all want to live well and vibrantly throughout all of our life. 
Right, and we want to live at home. You know, it's yes. either if you suffer a serious stroke and you do have paralysis and you can't use one side of your body, it can make really difficult to live alone. So we could be facing nursing home care. And I think that's not the ideal place. Most of us want to live at home and um, continue to do the things that make our lives and the lives of the people that we love better, taking care of our kids, grandkids, working, you know, as you're younger. If you're in your 50s and people in their 50s have strokes, you may not be able to go back to work. So it's just really important that we act fast and that we do the things that are in our power to prevent a stroke from happening. Exactly. And so to get more information, there is a really good website for people to check. Yes, www.strokeassociation.org. It has Everything you need to know about controlling risk factors or addressing high blood pressure, cholesterol, diabetes, and then also what to do if you have a stroke or you think someone's having a stroke, what are the signs and symptoms. But don't wait to go look it up on the internet when you think someone's having a stroke. Try to remember fast. Face, arms, speech, time. Exactly. So simple, easy to remember. Well, Kim Kelly, it really has been such a gift to all of us to have you here to share this invaluable information with us to make our life more vibrant. I really appreciate you and your time today. Well, thank you so much, Kate, for giving me the opportunity to get the FAST message out to people and how important it is to call 911. I really appreciate it, and I thank you to the station. You're welcome.